Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Amen. Hey, are you ready for the word this morning? Amen. Good. Because ready or not, I'm bringing it today because it's, re- it's Resurrection Day. Come on, it's exciting and God's done amazing things in our lives. I also know this is a lot of people visiting today at different places in their life. And I want, I want you to know, every single one of you, you may have said yes because someone was just nagging you. You said, maybe get off my back, I'll go, okay, just stop. Or you may have lost a bet, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. But however you got here, you're here. And God knew you were coming. And I believe in somehow, some way, God was trying to get you here, moving pieces around. It may look something different from somebody else, but I believe God was just moving things around to get you here this morning, because I believe he has a word for every one of us, as he always does. And I want to take, obviously, a look. What are we going to study today? The resurrection, of course. And so I want to take a look at the resurrection in the book of John. So you can turn to John 20 for me. Uh, I'd encourage you to get the live notes, get the app, get the live notes, follow along. Now, the resurrection account, obviously, is in all four of the Gospels, and um, you know, each one has a different aspect, a different perspective. And it's, a part of it's related to the personality, perhaps, or just what they have seen and experienced or who they are. And uh, you'll see some accounts maybe a little bit more dramatic, like one account, maybe Matthew's, I think, talks about an earthquake and other things. But I love John's account, which is why we're going to study that today. John, and the writings of John, you find a very personable uh, intimate look. And it's kind of John's view as he presents things in, in his gospel. And so I love that and how he's presented this resurrection story. Now, we're going to read a few scriptures about the resurrection in John because there's only a few scriptures about the resurrection in John. But you know what John does, which I love why we're going to study today? He talks a lot about resurrection day. He, he talks about the events of the resurrection for sure, but then he goes on and on and on, if you will, and he starts talking about, hey, all the other things that happened resurrection day, and I think it's important for you and I to look at that because I think that once the resurrection came, it's about why he came back that day and what he did that moment. It shows his heart because what he did was on resurrection day, he appeared to five other people that day. He just kind of popped in and said, hey, here I am. You thought I was dead, but I'm not. And then he appeared to about 10 other people before he ascended into heaven. And I believe there's a really powerful, wonderful reason why. So let's read John 20, one through eight. Here we go. It says this, starting in verse one, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. It says this in verse two. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Now, This is funny. I'm going to set you up here because John is writing this and he's talking about himself here, right? He's like, I just don't want to say me, but but he refers to himself. So he came to Peter, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which is John. And by the way, the one that Jesus loved. And isn't that funny? I'm like, like, I'm his favorite, right? And the other disciple who Jesus loved more than all the others and who is his favorite forever and ever. Amen, right? It was like a it's like, I might write it that way. I don't know, but anyways. And he said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where he put him. So Peter and the other disciple, John, <laughs> decided, uh, started for the tomb. Uh, both were running. This is funny. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, tomb first because I, he is more fit. I'm more fit. I eat lots of di- figs and dates. And Peter keeps eating extra falafels. I don't know, but I outran Peter and got there first. It doesn't matter. You know what's amazing to me is the Holy Spirit allowed him to put that in there, right? (laughs) Yeah, go ahead, John. And he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter came running along behind him, the one that who wasn't his fit, whom I outrun and beat there, and went straight into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Now listen to this. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. I don't know how you picture that, but the reality is when they came in and saw the tomb was empty of a body, it still had the linen cloth there laying as if it was covering a body. I mean, I think a lot of people think Jesus got up and neatly folded it up, right? He's the perfect one, right? He folded it up and put it right there. Maybe just wadded up on the floor. But when they saw it there, it sent a different picture in their mind that no, nobody took him because it's exactly as it was when we laid him in there. Something different has happened. So finally, the other disciple uh, who had reached the tomb first, right? Why do you got to tell us that? Why do you keep talking about it, Right? I don't, I don't know if you read the Bible the way I read it, but this is, I always put myself in the story. Do you, do you read the Bible? Okay, anyways, it's, it's like, it's God's word. But anyway, so he had reached the tomb first, also went inside, he saw and believed. Powerful account, but that's all they talk about. Now, what else do you need to talk about? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things. The other, the other four or three gospel writers have different accounts. But what's interesting to me is after John Uh, had written this particular account of the resurrection, then he began to write and write and write about the people that Jesus came to visit. And I thought it was interesting to me because Jesus is on the earth 33 and a half years. We know in the last three and a half years of his life, he spent time going about teaching and doing good and healing all who are sick and oppressed of the devil. We know in the last three years, Jesus' life, his whole life in ministry was about reaching and touching people. I think Jesus couldn't wait to get resurrected again so he could go back to reaching and touching people. I mean, that just shows to me that God is always looking to be there with you. In any moment that you're experiencing on the earth, he was looking to be there. And I believe that this is one of the powerful lessons we can learn from this story, that he wants to be in your life God is still appearing to people. And I want to say today, Jesus is still appearing to you today. There was Jesus in every moment, in every circumstance. And I think that's pretty cool. When you look at Jesus resurrecting from the dead, from the grave and coming back. Now, if you, have you, do you ever do this? Like I put myself in the story as a thing. Now, if I was Jesus and I came back, I think that'd be pretty cool. Number one, everybody thinks you're dead. Think of the fun that you could have, right? <laughs> and, but who would you appear to first? And I just got to thinking about, okay, like if it's me, I'd probably, appear, I'd probably appear to mom. It's Jesus, right? I'm thinking about Jesus. If I'm Jesus, I'd appear to mom. Makes sense. She was there at the crucifixion. She saw her son beaten, bloody dying. I would pop in and just say, hey, mom, it's okay. I'm good. Don't worry. You don't have to cry for me. I don't know about you, but that's maybe where I'd start. If I was Jesus, uh, maybe the second person as you're thinking about it. Who else would Jesus appear to if he could? Um, You know, when Jesus was going through that trial that was not right, it broke all the rules and customs of the day. At the end, Pontius Pilate, who was the the Roman governor over the area, finally just turned him over to be crucified. What's interesting in that story is, well, in the book of Matthew, his wife tells him, don't do that. And then later on, when the trial's happening, Matthew describes his wife wrote a note and slipped it to him and said, please, 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 don't, I don't feel good about this. I don't have peace about this. Please don't turn him over to be crucified. I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus and I'm coming back, I'm like, I'm going to see Pilate. And I'm saying, you should have listened to your wife, right? <laughs> hey, ladies, I totally set you up right there for a big amen. That's right, yeah. yeah. And maybe the last person, I think, because not only did the Romans, if you will, just convict him to be crucified, it was the religious leaders of the day. 
And there's two different types, two different groups. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were different from the Pharisees because they did not believe, their theology was they did not believe in a physical resurrection. So how cool it would, be, would it be to show up in their next meeting, right, and say, how do you like me now, right? I'm like, like what? <laughs> I don't know. That's just the way my brain works. But, but it's interesting to see who Jesus really showed up to. He didn't show up to religious leaders. He didn't show up to politicians. He didn't show up to the movers and shakers of the community or the empire or the country of that day. He didn't show up to the wealthy business people. He didn't show up to, he didn't show up to any of those. You know who he showed up to? He, he showed up to a lady named Mary in verse 11. Let's take a look. Now Mary stood, Mary Magdalene. We read that in, chapter, in the verse one through eight. Now Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying, As she wept, as she wept, as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she responded, they have taken my Lord away, she said to them, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And I didn't put this in there, but verse 15, Jesus says, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And what's interesting to me, the very first person, very first person out of an entire world that Jesus could have appeared to was a broken, brokenhearted, crying, emotionally struggling person, Mary. I mean, that's amazing to me because I wanna tell you today that in your brokenness, and in, in your emotional turmoil, when you're when you when you're just you're you're just lost with all hope, uh, Jesus is attracted to that. In her brokenness, in her weeping, she was weeping so much and so emotionally hurt that she didn't even recognize Jesus standing there. In fact, another scripture says she thought it was the gardener, and the angels were there asking her because of her emotional pain because of her brokenness. And Jesus himself first appeared out of an entire world to a broken-hearted person dealing with immense pain. And I wanna say, in that moment, there was Jesus. What does the resurrection speak to you and I today? In our greatest moment of brokenness, in our weeping, in our crying, in our, in our emotional pain, he's attracted to that. You just gotta look for him. Because there's Jesus in those days that you're brokenhearted and you're hurt and you're crying and you're weeping. There's Jesus. As she wept, Jesus appeared to her. I love that picture because listen to the promise. Psalms 34, 18 says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I don't know what you're going through and experiencing in our crazy world today, but here's what I know. Jesus is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And as soon as he resurrected from the grave, he sought that person out. There was Jesus. And your resurrection Sunday today, if you're feeling something similar to that, I want to say to you, there's Jesus. He is right there. So he came and visited her. And I want to say this, he's not as far away as you think. He's right there. Sometimes you have to look for him because in our pain, we can't see him but he's right there. And whatever you're experiencing today, I promise you, if you'll look for him, you will find him. And the second one he appeared to, or 
an individual. He appeared to a guy named, we probably all know his name, even if we've not been in church. We're all familiar because it's become an idiom for people today, and it's doubting Thomas. Poor guy. I doubt, I mean, if I'm Thomas, like, I doubted one time, and I'm labeled for eternity. And if anybody, church or unchurch people, like doubting, hey, doubting Thomas, what's up with you, right? It's like, one time. I'm just funny. I was just thinking, again, my mind thinking about that, doubting Thomas and how forever he's been labeled and thinking about some of the others. And I thought about Lazy Susan. I thought, what? I thought, what did she do? And I thought, obviously nothing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If your name's Susie or Susan today, I, forgive me. There was Jesus. But forever. He's going to be, he's labeled that way. But Jesus appeared to the other disciples and then they come and they're gathering because Thomas didn't believe that he was going to live again. He thought that was over. He's dead. He's got, it's over. This mission, this job we're on, it's done. I'm going back to my old life. There's no mission anymore. Then all of a sudden he's gathering to the other disciples and they're like talking about that Jesus appeared to them. And you know, the other disciples, they're rubbing, man, you should have been there. You missed it. And as, as he would do, be, just make it seem like he didn't miss anything, right? Because that's what you do. It's like, oh, no, I don't believe that. Come on. Until I see the holes in his hands and put my hand in the hole in his side, it's just not going to, I'm not going to believe you. But here's what I love about Jesus. Thomas's doubt didn't keep him away. Thomas's doubt didn't push Jesus away. In fact, Jesus loved Thomas so much that even in the midst of his doubting, disbelief, unbelief couldn't get there. Couldn't believe that that's possible. Jesus shows up and shows up to Thomas in the middle of his doubt and unbelief. I love that Jesus, on resurrection day, he sought out the brokenhearted and he sought out those that were doubting and unbelief and disbelief. He sought them out. And I love that. I'm going to take a look at that in verse 24 here in the same passage, John 20. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples, like rubbing it in, hey, we've seen the Lord, you haven't. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where they were, put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. A week later, his disciples were there. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, peace be with you. Jesus saw it. Thomas out. And today I want every person that would say, I don't think I can do this. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I can go there. Jesus is not turned off by your doubts. He's attracted to them. It won't keep them away. So let's take a look at John 20, 26 through, we can go 26 through 28. Did I give you that one? 26 through 28. Take a look at John 26 through 28. Here we go. I got it right here. No, nope, I got it right here. I'm going to beat technology today. There you go. And obviously, I probably didn't give you the right note. So here we go. Okay, a week later, his disciples were in the house. We just read that one. And then he said to Thomas, oh, you know what? You guys had it there. You had it all the way through 28, probably. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God, I believe. I want you to know today, in your greatest doubts, Maybe you feel like you've been let down and have cause not to believe. Maybe I've tried it before. I mean, I see other people, but I get it. I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't think I'm there. I, I want to say to you, that doesn't push Jesus away. It attracts him. He's drawn to that because he loves you so much. So he loved Thomas so much that he appeared 
to him in the midst of his doubt. In his doubt, there was Jesus. And Jesus isn't bothered by your doubts. There's Jesus. And the last one in John's gospel. I love this one. This one's probably my favorite, although I can relate to the other two for sure. But this one's probably my favorite. And it's about someone who failed miserably, if we can say it that way, just failed, just a, a failed moment and that was living in shame and regret. And it's the story of Peter. He's one of the disciples. He's the one that obviously wasn't as fast as John, <laughs> he wasn't, that John pointed out. But he was one of the disciples. And Peter all of a sudden finds himself in that moment of broken as well, but feeling guilt and shame because he denied Jesus three times. In fact, the story goes, when they were gathered together for the Last Supper and Jesus is telling them, one's gonna betray me and they're gonna come and take me. And Peter's like, no, they're not gonna take you. They'll have to get through me. They'll have to get through me first. I got your back. I'm here for you, man. I love you. If they're gonna kill you, they're gonna kill me first. And Jesus tells them, hey man, listen, you're gonna deny me before the rooster crows three times. And sure enough, it happened, obviously, exactly as Jesus said. So Peter is just feeling miserable. I mean, have you, feeling like such a failure? Have you ever been there? Like, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna say that again. I'm not gonna go there again. I'm not gonna be that again. And all of a sudden you do, and that, that feeling of guilt and shame had to be overwhelming. And Peter had to be so broken. He doesn't, I don't know that I can be loved by him again. I don't know that I'm even worthy anymore. I let him down so much. And I, I even stood up in front of everybody and said, I'm gonna, they're gonna have to kill me first. And in the first chance I denied him. And I can't imagine that overwhelming sense of guilt and shame that he had. Peter's response to that failure, to dealing with that guilt and that shame is probably the same response that we would have. We would draw we withdraw, we wrestle with our guilt and our shame. And people think that that drives Jesus away. But I want to tell you this morning because of the resurrection story, that in those moments where we feel like we have failed, in those moments of our greatest disappointment, in those moments where we feel the greatest sense of guilt and shame, Jesus is attracted to those moments. And the moment, your greatest moment of guilt and shame, there's Jesus right there in that time, seeking you out, pursuing you, because he knows how you're feeling. Your failure attracts Jesus to you. In fact, in the, we don't look at it this morning, but in the, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says to Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter, because he knew Peter was gonna be so broken going to be such a sense of failure, wrestle with guilt and shame, and probably the one, the most that didn't feel like he was even worthy of having a relationship with Jesus again because of what he had done. He said, go tell the other disciples and Peter. And it highlights the fact that he knows our condition. He knows our failures. He knows what we're carrying, the guilt, shame, and disappointment. And he's drawn to it. And let me say this about disappointment, because we all feel it when we make those failures and mistakes. And we then feel like we're not worthy enough or we're not good enough. Let me tell you about disappointment. Disappointment is the space between expectation and reality. But let me tell you, Jesus knows everything. So there's no gap. So let me say it this way. Then Jesus doesn't have disappointment because he already knows the outcome before it ever happens. So no matter what you do, you can't disappoint Jesus because he already knew you were gonna do it. And his opinion and value is not placed upon your decisions. It's unconditional love 
that he has. There's nothing you can do that he'll turn away from. You can't go far enough. You can't do things bad enough. He's not disappointed. He's reaching out. And I love that. God knows everything. He knew this moment. John 21, 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now, we already told the story a little bit about when Peter had denied Jesus three times. And here we're going to see Peter being asked three times. And I know, I know, and I don't disagree with this, but I know people think that Jesus asked him three times because he denied him three times. And I think that would be great and that would be cool. And I think that's awesome. But I also think there's something else to look at in this moment that we can draw from. Because when you look at this passage right here and you see where Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Understand the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And because it's Greek, there's different word origins, therefore different word meanings. And you see that word love in the scripture here. It's one of four Greek words used for love. And this one, as Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me? Jesus is using the Greek word agape. And the Greek word agape means without condition. It's an unconditional love. It's the way the Father loves us. God loves us. And he basically says to Peter, Peter, do you love me without condition? And he's asking Peter this question. Do you love me without condition? Peter responds, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Interesting, because Peter doesn't use the same word in the Greek for love. He uses the word phileo. And phileo is the root word for Philadelphia, which we know is the city of brotherly love. So phileo is a brotherly friendship type of love. So Jesus says, do you love me, Peter, without condition? But Peter is responding out of a sense of his guilt and shame. I don't think I can. I feel so bad right now. And I would almost could see Peter say, Jesus, if you would have asked me this a week ago, absolutely, I would have responded with agape. But because of my failure, how can I even love you the way you love me? I don't even think that's humanly possible because of the guilt and the shame that I'm dealing with. It's almost like Peter felt so much of a failure. He was afraid or felt like he couldn't even love Jesus the way Jesus loved him. But here's the response by Jesus. Jesus says, okay, I get it, but I can use that. Feed my lambs. I still got a plan for you. I still got stuff for you. We're not there yet, but I get it. You're still working through some stuff, but I'm here for you. But I can still use you. Feed my lambs. I love that. Then he goes on to say this in the next verse. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? Do you love me without condition? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I love you like a brother, like a best friend. And Jesus said, okay. I'll take that. I can use that. Take care of my sheep. And then Jesus asked him that the band can come out. And Jesus asks him a third time. He says this. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Interestingly, he switched the word now. Now he doesn't use the word agape because he knows Peter's not there yet. He knows Peter's wrestling, struggling with this sense of without condition because of his guilt and his shame that he's dealing with his failure. And so Jesus decides, okay, I'm gonna meet you where you are then. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter looks at him and says, I phileo you. And I love that picture because you know what that says to me? That says to me, Jesus will meet you where you are. 
You don't have to go all the way to get to him because sometimes in our failures and mistakes and sin and guilt and shame and disappointments, we don't feel like we're worthy. We don't feel like they get there. And Jesus says, it's okay. I'm going to come to you where you are and we'll get there together. And so he, he, he resurrects and comes and finds Peter. And he says, in the midst of your failure, disappointment, guilt and shame, you don't think you're worthy of my unconditional love. You don't think that you can love me back. I get it. I'm going to come and love you anyways. And we're gonna, I'm going to meet you where you are. And then we're going to get there together. I love that picture. There was Jesus in the midst of his failure and disappointment. There was Jesus when he didn't think that he was worthy of the love of, without condition. There was Jesus when he didn't think that he could love him back or that he even should or could because of what he's done. But Jesus said, I'm gonna take a step towards you, Peter. That's all I'm asking. I'm taking a step towards you and you take a step towards me. And when Peter took a step, there was Jesus in the midst of his pain and guilt, disappointment, shame. I love this story because... When Jesus resurrected, he appeared to the brokenhearted. He sought them out. I don't know what you're feeling today. I don't know what you've been walking through. Can I tell you? There's a lot of brokenness in this broken world. But it's in those moments there's Jesus. You just got to look for him. And I don't know where you are with this doubt and unbelief and disbelief and how could and why should and what happened here. And I just don't know if I can get there yet. Your doubt doesn't push Jesus away. It draws him closer. There's Jesus in your doubt. And I don't know if you're like Peter, like me, prone to make mistakes. And you wrestle sometimes with that guilt and that shame. And you don't think that you're worthy enough. I did it again, or here we go. And I, I don't even know. I can't even be in your presence, God. I can't even come to church. And it's in those moments that there's Jesus, that he will meet you where you are at. And that is the beauty of his resurrected life. So I want to take a moment. I want you to ask yourself, where are you? Because I know where Jesus is. I know he's here to meet you where you're at. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.